Section 7 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 Constitution of the Animal and Plant Kingdoms, Part 2. Yet another illustration may be given of the constitution of animal types by way of impressing their distinctive character on the mind. If we bisect the body of a fish by splitting it through the spine from head to tail, we discover a highly characteristic disposition of its organs and parts. Lying along the back and enclosed within the skull and spine, as within a tube, we find the nervous system, consisting of brain and spinal cord. Lowest down and lying on the floor of the body is the heart. Above the heart and in the middle position is the digestive system, and above this system, in turn, is a second nervous system distinct from the brain and spinal cord and known as the sympathetic system thus the positions of organs in the fish with the exception of the digestive system are exactly reversed from those of the lobster and butterfly whilst in that its chief nervous system is enclosed within the bony tube formed by skull and spine the fish presents a most material difference from both animals furthermore we should find that the fins of the fish which represent the limbs of higher animals are never more than four in number, and that they are disposed in pairs. A simple diagram, then, might be constructed of the fish, showing the positions of the various systems as just narrated, whilst a similar idea of vertebrate structure is afforded by the cross-section, and such a diagram would hold true for every known fish, just as the diagram of the jointed animal, constructed from the details of the lobster, served to represent the essential anatomy of every known crustacean if now we examine the structure of a frog or other amphibian or that of any reptile we shall find that like the fish these animals have a nervous system lying along the back and enclosed within a bony tube again their hearts are lowest their digestive system occupies the median position and their limbs are never more than four and are invariably developed in pairs hence the diagram of the fish represents the essential anatomy of other two distinct classes namely frogs and reptiles but it is easy to show that the fish type is also represented in animals still more widely removed from all apparent relationship with the finny tribes between a bird and a fish there seems at first to be no relationship absolute or comparative yet the diagram of the fish will serve to express all the structural features of the bird. The latter exhibits, in short, the same arrangement of its nervous, digestive, and blood systems as does the fish. Its nervous system is similarly protected by a bony axis, and its limbs are likewise in pairs. And ascending, last of all, to the highest confines of the animal world, and entering into the domain of the quadrupeds or mammals, at the head of which latter group stands the human subject, we find the type of fish, frog, reptile, and bird to be accurately adhered to as the fundamental plan of the quadruped body itself, so that the diagram of the fish may be left to express accurately and truly the broad outlines of human anatomy. In this way we discover that a type of animals, the vertebrata, first outlined by Lamarck, as already noted, can be constructed on precisely the same lines and for the same structural reasons that made the constitution of the articulate type a reality of living nature. Fishes, frogs, reptiles, birds, and quadrupeds or mammals, including man, 
thus possess bodies constructed on the same fundamental type or plan to continue the illustration of the formation of natural groups or types of animal life through the discovery of broad or fundamental correspondence in the structure of the body were an easy matter it may readily be shown that all ordinary shellfish such as oysters cockles snails whelks along with the sea butterflies pteropoda and the cuttlefishes from another well-marked type distinguished by the peculiar disposition of the nervous system in three great masses as well as by other definite characters writ large enough in the textbooks of zoology these animals form the type of the mollusca a group from which many animals therein included by cuvier have been weeded out to form other divisions or to find a place in other types similarly the fact that the starfishes sea urchins sea lilies sea cucumbers and the like form another and distinct type echinodermata distinguished by the radiate shape of the body and by other characters might be dwelt upon a diagram of the starfish type would merely extend our illustrations to show how the hydras zoophytes jellyfishes corals and sea anemones form another type silenterata noted for its curious digestive system which communicates freely with the internal cavity of the body whilst last and lowest of all the protozoa represented by the sponges amoebae the foraminifera or chalk animalcules and many other and equally simple forms of animal life constitute the lowest type these animals are distinguished rather by their want of organs and tissues than by the possession of the belongings of higher animals and exhibit bodies which consist for the most part of simple masses of protoplasm but which nevertheless exhibit all the fundamental characteristics of living organisms the diagram of a protozoan might thus be adequately enough rendered by a simple figure representing an indefinite mass of protoplasm it will thus be seen that the four cuvierian types have become largely extended and modified by modern research but notwithstanding these modifications the principles whereon that great anatomist laid the foundations of the constitution of the animal world remain solid and enduring as of old if today our list of types is of a more extensive character than was the cuvierian repertoire it must be borne in mind that such a result was inevitable from the improvement of the ways and means of scientific research what remains to be effected in biological research is the enlargement and extension of the types themselves an increase of knowledge which has indeed been carried out along the very lines which led cuvier to those remarkable generalizations that have formed the basis of modern natural history studies although naturalists are by no means agreed concerning the exact number and relationship of the types represented in the animal world the following table may serve to show the fundamental divisions of the animal kingdom as expressed in modern systems of zoological classification starting from the bottom protozoa lowest animals amoeba etc above and to the left solenterata corals anemones hydrae zoophytes down to sponges above and to the right vermes worms down to infusorians above vermes to the right are the echinodermata starfishes sea urchins etc above the vermes to the left and above the echinodermata are the articulata insects spiders crustacea 
to the far left above the vermes are the mollusca cuttlefishes shellfish etc and in the center left above the vermes we have the molluscoida polyzoa and sea squirts and further up that branch the vertebrata fishes reptiles birds quadrupeds having thus endeavored to show the chief types of animal life we may now glance at the conclusions bearing upon the constitution of the animal world to which our researches may legitimately be presumed to lead it thus seems clear so far as our studies have led us that the constitution of the animal world is one in which the development of its included units has followed a series of definite plans or types leading to the construction of the six or seven primary groups into which the naturalist is accustomed to divide the hosts of animal life these types it must further be noted are not in any sense theoretical groups but are founded as we have seen on exact and fundamental likenesses in structure nor must we lose sight of the exact meaning of the word fundamental as thus employed the use of this term implies that the likeness and similarities in the plan admits of variation in the carrying out of its details the lobster and the butterfly for example are fundamentally alike their bodies are constructed on an essentially similar plan and the positions of their organs are identical but whilst these two are fundamental likenesses they do not imply that of necessity the two bodies should be similar throughout the tissues of a butterfly may be more complex than those of a lobster or vice versa just as the heart or brain of a frog is a more complex organ than that of a fish and as each organ of a bird or a man shows in turn an advance upon that of the frog the variations however are all more or less plain and evident elaborations of one type as cuvier put it the ulterior divisions of each type or in other words its arrangement into subordinate groups drawn upon differences in the included animals are founded upon slight modifications of the type or by the development or addition of certain parts which parts it may be added can as a rule be shown to be represented in one form or another in the original constitution of the type a second consideration of importance in discussing the constitution of the animal world consists in the emphatic declaration of the modern naturalist that it is impossible to arrange animals in a linear series beginning with the lowest form and ending with man the nature of the constitution of the animal world in short does not admit of any such arrangement since it would be manifestly impossible to determine in very many instances which of two animals or of two groups should be ranked the higher it would be a puzzling if not an impossible task for any naturalist to determine for example whether a cockroach or a cuttlefish should be ranked highest in the scale the fact that the body of the one is constructed on an utterly different type than that of the other constitutes a primary difficulty of no mean order and there intervenes a second consideration namely that of the impossibility of settling any standard whereby the organization of the one might be legitimately compared with that of the other as professor huxley has graphically remarked quote, regarded as machines for doing certain kinds of work animals differ from one another in the extent to which this work is subdivided each subordinate group of actions or functions is allotted to a particular portion of the body which thus becomes the organ of those functions 
and the extent to which this division of physiological labor is carried differs in degree within the limits of each common plan and is the chief cause of the diversity in the working out of the common plan of a group exhibited by its members moreover there are certain types which never attain the same degree of physiological perfection as others do unquote. these words indicate clearly enough that the high or low character of any animal in a type depends chiefly upon the complexity of the functions and necessarily of the organs whereby life is maintained as the household whereof the labor is performed by a maid of all work is functionally less complex than that whose work is performed by a retinue of servants each discharging a special duty so in the animal world the rank of any one of its members or of its groups can only be determined by the complexity of the body and by the corresponding degree of intricacy with which the functions of the body are performed furthermore it is the development of this complexity or the reverse from the common plan which as huxley has so well expressed it is the actual cause of the variations we see in each type the frog is not higher than the fish because of its type since both exhibit the same fundamental plan but because the frog's functions are more specialized there is a more minute physiological division of labor in the frog and there exists a more complex staff of organs developed from the common plan of fish and frog to discharge the increased work of the differences between a frog and a bird and between both and a man precisely the same remark may be made the higher or more complex life involves and demands from the common type the more complex frame to quote professor huxley's words once more quote, a mill with ten pairs of millstones need not be a more complicated machine than a mill with one pair but if a mill have two pairs of millstones one for coarse and one for fine grinding so arranged that the substance ground passes from one to the other then it is a more complicated machine a machine of higher order than that with ten pairs of similar grindstones in other words it is not mere multiplication of organs which constitutes physiological differentiation but the multiplication of different organs for different functions in the first place and the degree in which they are coordinated so as to work to a common end in the second place thus a lobster is a higher animal from a physiological point of view than a cyclops or water flea not because it has more distinguishable organs but because these organs are so modified as to perform a much greater variety of functions while they are all coordinated towards the maintenance of the animal by its well-developed nervous system and sense organs but continues huxley it is impossible to say that for example the arthropoda insects spiders centipedes etc as a whole are physiologically higher than the mollusca shellfish and cuttlefishes inasmuch as the simplest embodiments of the common plan of the arthropoda are less differentiated physiologically than the great majority of mollusks Unquote whilst the difficulties which lie in the way of determining the higher or lower rank of many organisms are thus apparent it may be remarked that the means already specified namely the physiological perfection of the animal may in turn assist us in assigning to many forms 
their relative place in any type or group. Thus, the possession of air-breathing organs, or lungs, is admittedly a mark of a higher organization than that which possesses gills, the life of the air-breather being, as a matter of fact, associated with a structural perfection excelling that of the aquatic and gill-bearing animal. So also the degradation of organs and parts which accompanies parasitism naturally lowers an animal in the series as compared with its non-parasitic neighbors. Thus, within the limits of any one type of animals, we may discover many examples of tendencies to higher as well as to lower development, these tendencies determining the position of the organism within its own type, and either elevating itself or its group collectively, or, on the other hand, degrading it, and assigning it to a low place in the type. The impossibility of any scientific or natural arrangement of animals in a linear series can thus be shown to depend simply upon the constitution of the animal kingdom as a whole. If any arrangement of the great types it presents to view is permissible, and naturalists are agreed that some such relationship is embodied and included in the constitution of the kingdom, such an arrangement will find its clearest expression in the metaphor of a tree. As represented indeed in the foregoing table, the various types may be regarded as the great branches of the animal tree, rising here and there from a common stem or root, and developing, each along its own special line and type, into the variety and fullness of form exhibited before our eyes today. The impression which is liable to be left on the mind of the observer who thus far has traced out the constitution of the animal world into its fundamental types or plans will undoubtedly take the form of the idea that the mere existence of these types or plans as we behold them represented in living animals would appear to indicate the separate and disconnected nature of the great groups in question considerations of this nature inevitably lead to others dealing with the origin of these plans of animal life and the conclusion that these types have each had an independent origin might seem at first sight to possess actual warranty for acceptation and belief but a fuller consideration of the constitution of the animal world will tend to dispel any such tacit agreement concerning the actual independence and distinctness or regarding the separate origin of the animal types already noted on the contrary a deeper acquaintance with facts as they stand will inevitably tend to show us, firstly, that the limits of the types are by no means so rigidly circumscribed as the older naturalists supposed, whilst, secondly, we may discover that evidence exists to show not merely that the various types are by no means sharp demarcated from each other, but that in the nature of things they exhibit relationships of the highest importance in the attempt to discover the exact nature and constitution of the animal world. With regard to these latter contentions, it is easy to show, for example, that the great types of animal life, whilst remaining distinct enough to constitute divisions of utility in classifying animals, nevertheless often merge into one another and become connected by intermediate forms, that is, are linked together by animals or by groups which may be termed transitional in every respect. If the existence of such links between any of these types be proved, the distinct and utterly separated character of all may logically be denied. The fact that the types are connected in any fashion 
must also be held as showing that some form of progression from one to the other must be postulated as an essential part and feature of the animal constitution in other words we are led to believe in the continuity of these types as opposed to the idea of their separate origin we are led to espouse the idea of an uninterrupted development as opposed to that of the separate and independent origin of the great plans of animal structure it is interesting however in the first place to find that there is an unmistakable reflection of such a continuous development to be discovered within the limits of each type and to this latter aspect or that concerning the types themselves it may now be well to direct our attention end of section seven part two of chapter three constitution of the animal and plant kingdoms